Welcome to the Day Luna Human Design Podcast, where we discuss all things human design and how it can support you and your spiritual journey. This is not a one-size-fits-all podcast. We are here to inspire awareness about how we are all different and help you answer the questions of who am I? What am I here to do? How am I here to do it? You can thrive and live the life of your dreams just by having awareness of your true self. So dive deep with us, get inspired, and start living your life on purpose. Hello, and welcome back to the Day Luna Human Design Podcast with your hosts, Dana and Shayna. We are finally here chatting about Egypt. And we have so much to share. We have done several breathworks since we last kind of talked about our breathwork experience and journey. I know that in the past, our episodes where we talk about our breathwork experience, so many people reach out that you have had a similar experience or that you're navigating something or releasing something or healing something similar. And it's just so amazing to us to get to witness and see how we're all so connected and healing these wounds and traumas that are passed down genetically and through our ancestors all right now in this timing because it's this is the time to heal those wounds. So it's really exciting and really cool. And I've been waiting to tell Dana about Egypt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when we say waiting, I just need to let you all know because Shayna is so hardcore. Obviously, you all know that we're best friends, we're business partners, we're co-hosts of this podcast. That's a lot of different relationships all wrapped into one <laughs> sphere. And she is so hardcore about actually making me wait until we can record this information or this story and share it with you all. So like, legit, I'm like dying to hear about her experiences. And it's been weeks now that (laughs) I have had to patiently wait so that we can share it on the podcast so that we can all go on this journey together, which honestly, I am here for that in the end. And I love it because I really feel that everyone listening is our bestie and we're all on this flow together. And it's really fun and cool that we get to share these conversations with each other, like in real time for real. But also it's been slightly painful to have to wait for weeks to hear (laughs) about Shayna's experience because I'm like, tell me everything, bitch. And she's like, nope, you need to wait until we're on the podcast. Because it's so much to say. And if I tell you in person, then I'm not ever going to tell you to like remit this information on whatever. That's not the right way to say it. But you know what I mean? I'm not going to like retransmit is what I'm saying. So Uh maybe remit this information again because it's just like... It would be too much to say. So it's (laughs) all going to be on this podcast. Buckle in because this is going to be a long episode. But also you've been having really amazing, crazy experiences too. And kind of for some context, you know, Dana and I did a breathwork ceremony right before I left for Egypt. And then when I left, Dana and her husband, Jared, went on their own trip into the snow and like Washington and like snowboarding and being out in the mountains and out in nature. And meanwhile, I was in the desert on the opposite side of the world. And it was... We were both having our own really 
amazing experiences. And then we came back and did another breathwork ceremony. Haven't caught up or touched in about anything (laughs) and had crazy experiences then. So it's just been, we've been in this vortex of healing and information Mm -hmm. and transmissions and activations and just so much going on. Yeah. And while all of that was happening, like while Shayna was in Egypt and I was on this trip, that was like this opposition of being in the snowy mountains. That was when the book was coming out. So it was really kind of like a big moment in our lives in for that reason. But also we've kind of been sharing in previous episodes leading up to this, we've had this feeling of like a death and rebirth cycle of feeling like some winter energy of like letting things go and shedding things. You know, we've had Day Luna now for a few years and feeling, okay, what do we want to kind of leave behind? What do we want to fine tune? And just feeling this immense kind of like rebirth of something and not exactly having clarity of what that was, but that energy of new beginnings, new activations, new levels of consciousness, like coming through, through all of these images and experiences and transmissions. And that has been, for me at least, the the rebirth that I've been feeling is just like this whole new up level as far as my vibration because of the sort of like spiritual experiences and downloads and visions that I've been getting in all of these different places. Yeah, it's insane. So let's start with breathwork before Egypt. Mm-hmm. And I haven't even heard about your breathwork journey. So For me, that experience, that breathwork before Egypt was we were being led very intentionally with connecting with our spirit animals and guides and also star beings. Is that the right way to say that? I don't want to say star seeds, but no. And I had some deep healing around a lot of my like wounds and triggers with bugs And so I'll get into that later. First, I want to hear about your breathwork session, what spirit animals came through, what healing happened, what was that experience like? Yeah. So I'll try to keep it short and concise here. But basically, you know, as the animal stepped forward, for me, it was a buffalo and a buffalo that had this beautiful, like blue crystallized third eye that was like a gem almost. And, you know, I live in the desert, in the Mojave Desert, in these big open kind of valleys. And I kind of experienced this vision of being here and having this buffalo come up to me and put its third eye on my third eye and just transmit all at once this like all of this powerful wisdom and support and feeling of, you know, being what it means to be a daughter of this earth, but also a daughter of the cosmos and the universe and kind of like the convergence of those two worlds and how we really are this instrument that is of the earth and created of organic materials and exists as a part of earth's nature, but also of like this star consciousness, this universal consciousness. And so this buffalo guided me to lay down on the earth and I felt all of the earth's ley lines, you know, and saw the image of this grid of energy around the earth, these lines that hold the memory of all of the wisdom that's ever existed on this planet you know, of our human ancestors, of all of the animals and plants that all have their own form of sacred consciousness and all have their own stories to tell and wisdom to share. And I felt that all of that is remembered and held in these earth ley lines and that at any point we can access that 
wisdom. We can access those stories. We can connect back in with the history of wisdom and storytelling just through connecting to those ley lines and then feeling that that same energy of these lines being like these portals that hold energy, but also carry energy coming out into the stars. So as, you know, laying on the ground, feeling these ley lines and watching the stars rise and watching the constellations rise and feeling these lines, seeing these lines come down, these like neutrino streams and just lines of memory and energy connecting us out to the cosmos and it all being like this web and feeling even our ancient ancestors that exist out in the stars and out in the universe. And basically just knowing and feeling so deeply that we're always able to access that connection, that wisdom, that divine web, that interconnected web of like the information field that connects all things. And, you know, we were guided to connect kind of with those star beings. And for me, the Lyrians really popped up, but also the Hathors, which is an Egyptian goddess energy that has been coming to me for a couple of years now so strongly. And this Hathor energy giving me this mother's milk you know, like the Milky Way is streaming down and feeding us and supporting us and and knowing that we always have that mother's like cosmic mother energy feeding us and nurturing us through that like Milky Way mother's milk. So that was like my whole experience. And it's always hard to explain that, but I love the visuals of it. Like I go back to that every night before I fall asleep. Oh my gosh. Talk about like profound. And also it's crazy that these experiences can happen with breathing. I know. Literally just using your breath Mm -hmm. and your body and that's it. Yeah. You don't need anything else outside of you to have these experiences that are just so profound and also so visual. Like Mm -hmm. the DMT in your brain being Mm -hmm. activated and released to where you can get into these altered states that you're guiding yourself through and really healing and and being supported. And sometimes it's just like a profound message that just mm-hmm. opens your eyes in a completely different way. And sometimes it's literally healing trauma in your body. Right. Yeah. And accessing those ineffable experiences of the divine, you know, like feeling that connection. I feel like it's like a quantum leap of healing to just connect in even for one moment with that great universal love, the way that it feels to know that you're loved and supported and a part of all of it and connected to all of it and that you are that universal loving awareness, like God, life force energy. It's it's almost like everything else in your human experience just gets eased by having even one moment of that truth. And that's why I know that it's so important for people to be able to access this. And I definitely think, you know, with plant medicines, that is something that a lot of us are being called towards because we want this level of healing. We want these amazing magical experiences that change us forever just from having one moment of that level of connection. And it is so empowering to know that you can use your breath to access like all of that same opening and all of those same portals within us. Yeah. So my experience that first breathwork before Egypt was similar in the the sense of like, well, first of all, I... So for everyone listening, you might have heard in past episodes that I have a lot of trauma with bugs and 
I get triggered by my nervous system gets triggered by bugs or being disgusted by something. The feeling of disgust is like one of the, probably like the biggest feeling that I feel when I get into a fight or flight state and my nervous system is triggered. And then I want to run or hide or fight, or sometimes I just freeze and I dissociate. And so um, really knowing that and understanding that is one thing, but then healing it is a completely different thing. Yeah, And in this breath work, a big part of it was bugs and like this at first. So at first I saw like this spider at the center of my chest and it was like weaving web, like a web of golden light, like a golden web was being woven. And so when you were talking about like this web in the sky, I was like, okay, yes. And um, this, this spider was like this divine creatrix like being. And at first I felt this disgust in my body. Like, why am I seeing these spiders? Like, this is, this is scary or creepy. Like it literally triggered that response in my body. And I instantly just started like coughing, like coughing out this disgust out of my body. And And then I just like let the spider kind of like weave its web all around me till I was like literally wrapped up in this golden web light. Wow. And out of that, I then like kind of crystallized, like hardened in this cocoon, if you will. And then started to like break off the layers of like this this web and like almost like hatch out of it. And then I did that like out of my own skin, like my, all of my body was like this light glowing gold. And I just like kept hatching out of layers and layers and layers. And in this process, I'm like shaking and crying and like coughing. And then I just get this urge to like sit up And so I'm sitting in this breathwork. And this has been the coolest part about learning breathwork is being able to guide myself through it and move my body and hold my own space to understand like what my body's feeling and be able to lean into it in ways that are really helpful. And that's been so incredibly empowering with helping me get back into my body because Mm -hmm. I've been very much, and I've talked about this many times, like, you know, feeling like I don't have a body or it's hard for me to connect to it. And being able to work with the breath in my body and move my body, this breathwork session was so healing for connecting to my body. So I sit up and I put my hands like cradled, like underneath my womb. So like under my butt and under like my vagina. And they're both like, connected like underneath my... Like from the front and the back. From the front and the back. Uh Connected like one hand in front, one hand in back underneath my like root and sacral chakras, like holding myself there. And I... So I like break out of the shell and then I immediately like sit up and I put my hands there and I just start like 
rocking and undulating and like literally kundalini energy comes up from the base of my spine, like up through my crown chakra. And I'm like this snake essence being. And I kind of sit in that for like maybe, I don't know, five, 10 minutes. And in this, I hear the womb is the answer for all healing. And I'm like, okay, like that, yes. And the the visuals that I got from that were like, the messages and the imprints that we give on our children when we like create them in our bodies. And then when we birth them and that information being passed on to them, whether they're male or female or, or it doesn't matter, but that information is passed down and that healing, when you connect into your womb or your creative creation center is the most healing energy. Mm. And it was just like radiating, like, okay, the womb is this like tender, emotional, sexual, vital, life-giving place that is the center for all healing. Like literally all distills back to the womb is this message that I was getting. Because whether you have a womb or not, if you're here alive, you came from a womb. Yeah. It's the origin. Yes. And so I'm sitting there like holding my womb and like, I don't even know, energy just freaking surging up out of Mm me. And all of a sudden I get this like image of this egg once again, so many eggs in my breath work, <laughs> apparently. There's a white crystal egg and it's in my womb and there's like a, a light inside of it, like the star inside of it and inside of me. And I straight up get into like really primal. And for anyone that knows me, it's not like my normal <laughs> state. And I get into this really primal place and I straight up birthed this egg like on my bed here in my house Brian's (laughs) in the next room I I had no awareness of him even being here and I straight I'm like screaming and like like not in like a painful way but in like a holy shit this is intense like primal Mm -hmm. like noises way. And I straight up like birth this egg out of me. And it was like this feeling of my body knows exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. And this deep trust in like, I can guide myself into knowing what to do. And I've always had this fear since I was little of dying in childbirth. And maybe that's passed down through, you know, ancestry, maybe that's past life trauma, you know, just being female and how that was a big way that women died for thousands of years was just by giving birth. And 
So it could be a number or any of those things, right? But I've always had this fear of like, I just feel for some reason that I'm going to die in childbirth. Like I need to make sure that I'm in a hospital. I might need an emergency C-section. Like I'm not trying to make that happen, but I've always had this kind of like fear. And I was talking about this with some other people in Egypt actually. And these women were sharing like, my biggest fear has been that my child will die. And... Mine hasn't, I've never had that like planted in me. I've always just felt like, I just feel like I might die on childbirth. And so I've had a lot of fear about having birth in general, Mm -hmm. kind of in the background of my consciousness. And in this experience, it really healed that in feeling my own capability of being able to guide myself and being safe enough to guide myself in my body without feeling like somebody needs to tell me when to push or what to do or what's safe and what's not or what's normal and what's not, but really feeling my own individualized sense of what is needed in every single moment. Mm. And even though I wasn't birthing a baby and even though this was in breath work and it wasn't like really situation that was happening, it felt extremely real. And I was birthing an egg. I'm not sure why, um, but it was very cute, but it was like, literally I'm a bird. Um, it was this real, like this very clear understanding that this was like a Lemurian baby. Mm. And so I gave birth to this egg And it was like the most intense and joyous. Like I was sweating profusely. Like this shit was intense. So gave birth to this egg with a crystal inside. (laughs) So casual. (laughs) So casual. And um, kind of just like shed all these layers. And, And in this, I kept having this like visualization of, you know, when I birthed this egg, these like ley lines going out into the earth, like these golden ley lines, like stretching Um, out, like from this egg that's like connected to my womb, like down from this egg, like almost like blowing out so fast, almost like the speed of light, like just like, like out into the earth Mm -hmm. and then growing these trees, like these trees, it looked like the tree of life, but like mm-hmm. many of them, um, like so tall up into the sky and like having these giant canopies that stretched down and they were these golden trees. And it was this instant feeling of like legacy. Like, and that that is what everyone has that potential and that whether you have kids or not, it's not about that, but it's like that energy of legacy. And this was a big theme that came up in Egypt too. But in this breath work, this sense of sending energy to others to connect with, to sit under that tree, to get the fruits of that tree, to learn from that tree, and then to move on and plant their own trees and with their own seeds and other people getting to sit under that and learn from that and eat the fruits of it and all the things. So it was like the, it was the web of how we are all connected, how we're mm. all changing each other, how we're all birthing new things that then change each other. And the infinite potential that comes from 
our womb. And like the seeds that we're planting, I maybe it wasn't an egg, maybe it was a fucking seed. You don't know, <laughs> but it was so intense and so amazing. And I kept hearing like bathe in life, birth in life. Like wow. that's like those mm. two things, like bathe in life, birth in life. And I'm not somebody who hears things like in my life. I haven't like audibly heard messages come through. Um, that's just not one of the ways that I've I've connected with my intuition. But ever since this breath work, I've had multiple times where like I've heard something. And so that was the first time that that happened was in this breath work. And it was just like so, so potent and so specific and so audible. Yeah. And real audience. Yeah, Yeah. no. I mean, when I'm hearing this story, it's amazing. And the beginning with the spider wrapping you up, what it sounds like to me is like a spiritual death, you know, like, like the biggest fear, like the fear of dying, the fear of like getting, you know, the scared energy, the locked energy in the root chakra, all of that, like letting the spider wrap you up. That's how a spider kills its thing and like letting it happen. And then like being reborn into this fresh life after that spiritual death. And then birthing kind of like yourself into like a new realm and and then that legacy of the trees. Like it's that story of like death and rebirth again. Yeah. Kind of like in your own way. But I mean it's amazing. Which- and it's crazy hearing you say that because at the end of my whole breathwork journey, I was laying down and just kind of like letting like images come to me. And there was a ton of different images. I can't recount them all. But the biggest one was this scarab came and it like had this black outer shell. But then underneath the outer shell was golden wings And it like flew with those golden wings and like landed on my right shoulder. And it, to me at the time, represented God consciousness of like the golden wings, that God consciousness, that creation consciousness in all of us. And like the outer shell being like our human experience and like the physical world that that we are inhabiting right now. So both are needed and kind of like the same message that you were sharing. And then when I get to Egypt though, there's scarabs everywhere, obviously like imagery and hieroglyphics and statues and things. And I ask our guide there like, okay, what does the scarab mean? And he said, death and rebirth. So crazy hearing you say that right now. Well, and can we talk about when your grandma passed away, how you were at her services or like life celebration and there was this giant beetle that had landed on your back and you sent us uh, a picture of this beetle and I Googled it and I had to find out like what kind of beetle is because it was beautiful. It was huge. It was kind of like a green turquoise color with like speckles and and it was a type of scarab. And I was like, wow, Shane. And I... I heard in my head, your grandma's like voice, like her laughing about it, but also being like, you better remember your ancestors. Like you remember me, like all this kind of thing. 
And I instantly felt like that's your grandma. And, you know, laughing that you were afraid of bugs and that you freaked out that there was a bug on your back, but really it's this sign of life and death and your ancestors, God consciousness coming to visit you and the whole thing. But that was before any of this. And also I forgot about that experience until literally the flight home, Brian, brought up like the scarab that crawled up me at my grandma's <laughs> service. Like afterwards, we went to dinner, we were eating outside and I get back to the hotel room and I feel this poke on my back and I look in the mirror and on my right shoulder, oh my gosh, <gasps> stop. stop. I know. On my right shoulder was this massive green, spiky, big ass scarab beetle. And- and it was a female because the males didn't have spots. Yeah. So it was a female scarab. Like I went on that Google rant. And I obviously lose my shit. I'm like screaming and I'm like telling Brian to get it off of me. And he's too scared to get it off of me because that's how big it was. <laughs> it was I was like sobbing, like, babe, get like get it. He's like, I can't, I can't. I was like literally screaming, like, I'm gonna fucking murder you if you don't get this <laughs> off me right now. And so he g- gets it off. And then he throws it in the trash. And then I'm like, no, babe, that needs to go outside into like nature. And so he goes to the trash. Like it wasn't in our room. He went outside of the hotel room, goes back to the trash, gets it out. And he had put it in a paper bag. And this thing was so big that it was loud, like scratching in the bag. It was so loud. And anyway, so then he puts it out into a bush outside and, and, Anyways, we looked that up because you sent it to us and it, that specific scarabs represented connecting with your ancestors. Mm, yeah. And that so that whole experience was crazy. And that was before I knew I was going to Egypt. Yeah. So, and the whole Egypt situation was crazy because I felt in January when we were coming back from Costa Rica that I was going to Egypt and with Brian and it just like felt like it was on my G center path. Like I just felt like this is happening in January. I'm going to Egypt. I emailed the people that lead this and I was like, Hey, if you're doing it again, I want to go, please let me know when tickets open up. Then a few months go by, May comes around and I reach out again, like, Hey, is this like a thing? And they're like, Oh yeah, but it's already sold out. I was like, fuck, like what the fuck? I feel like I'm meant to go and now I'm not. And it really made me feel so off for a few months because I just felt like this is something that I know that I was doing and I'm not like, am I wrong? Can I not trust myself? Like, why does this feel like that's not my life, not going? And it really shook me, even though it was, you know, a trip. And then this whole experience with the scarab happened with my grandma in August. And then end of September, she reaches out and she's like, Hey, we had some cancellations. Do you want to go? And I immediately was just like, yep, we're going. So I just wanted to share that whole backstory. And this, I know this has been all over the place, but it's just crazy, the synchronicities. And then have this experience in breathwork, realizing right now that it was on my right shoulder in breath work and didn't even remember that with my grandma and the scarab. And then in Egypt, the scarab was like the theme of the trip. And they kept saying that, like, I don't know why, like there's always a theme with every group that we bring here. And it's normally like fertility or 
like, you know, the rose or something, you know, whatever. And in this specific journey, everyone was all about the scarab. Wow. And that was just the theme of the trip. And so I got this beautiful scarab ring. We went to this gold store and I got this turquoise scarab ring. And it's, for me, really represents the death of my bug trauma. And I say that with hesitation because I'm like still integrating that. (laughs) I don't want to like promise that. But when I got back and stayed in Long Beach with Brian's parents, there was, we saw a roach. And normally that would like trigger me into a tailspin for, you know, hours. And it completely didn't phase me at all. Same thing Uh in Egypt. We saw roaches and I just like, and Brian was shook. He was literally like, how are you not having a full-blown panic attack right now? And I'm like, I'm fine. Like, I'm okay. So that's what this represents now when I wear it is that healing, that death and rebirth, like you said, of that whole experience. So healed some bug trauma in that breath work. Wow. And I just have to say, like, you know, for knowing you and being your best friend, like this is genuinely probably the deepest thing in your life, like the deepest fear or the, you know, the deepest, darkest place for healing. So it's really, really amazing and powerful and totally like a big shift in your life. I mean, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And just because so much is wrapped in it for me, like the disgust is at the core of like, you know, childhood trauma and abandonment wounds and, you know, feeling trapped and, a lot of different things that had happened in my childhood. It's like all wrapped around this disgust. So when I feel disgust with a bug or with tryptophobia, which I got triggered yesterday, which is another thing I need to go heal in my breath work. Which is what? Tryptophobia is when you... It's like the... um, the texture of like tiny little circles. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And um, and for me, it even goes into like crevices. Like I get really disgusted by crevices. Like even when we went to Alaska, I didn't want to do the glacier hikes because there's deep crevices and it like instantly makes me feel so afraid and like mm-hmm. terrified. And that's how I feel. I feel and also disgust because like what's in those crevices? <laughs> <laughs> And so don't look up tryptophobia if you're listening, because I think a lot of people have it. And something that I was just reading two days ago was that it's also triggered by a part of your brain that's trying to keep you safe because a lot of times those tiny little circles, like in multiples on like plants or in the ground or whatever, signals that that like sickness or decay And so it's keeping you safe from not wanting to eat that thing or touch that thing to like not get sick. Right. So that's what it was, it was kind of saying. So anyway, so there is like a scientific side of tryptophobia, but there also is like a disgust kind of out of control panic attack side for me at least. And that's that's maybe my next thing to heal. That's interesting. You know, something that we learned in our breathwork certification was about 
your nervous system, like every response that you're having is there's no response that's wrong. Your body is totally valid in having that response and coming from that place, then you can accept and embrace and look into why you were having that response that was adaptive at one point and now has become maladaptive. And I think that that's really interesting to have that level of like compassion for yourself and understanding for yourself. It makes it easier to then be able to move through it when you realize like there's nothing wrong with me. It's a normal response that my nervous system had for this reason. I think that that's like a huge piece in the healing. Yeah, exactly. So... That's our long rant on our breath, at least my breath work, long rant for me. So then going into Egypt, Egypt was incredible and also really insane in like a polarizing way, in like the duality of Egypt. And I say that because there's the temples and the pyramids and the sacred sites that are amazing and breathtaking and awe-inspiring and the frequencies are just unreal. And the government and the laws and the poverty and the injustice and the heartbreak happening all around these sites. And so you know, really was eye-opening to be in a place that has such duality happening right now in this time. And these sites that have been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years that we don't even know how old most of these sites are. And then the the society around it that's been there, you know, for 1400 years and seeing the lack of reverence and the lack of healing that's happening alongside these sites that are so potent and designed for healing, right? Designed for healing and designed for reverence, like to come and and give offerings and prayers and reverence um, to these different gods or goddesses or ideas or traditions or Um, You know, a lot of the gods and goddesses represent ideas and different aspects of the human experience. One thing that I really observed was with the 64 Netaru, the gods and goddesses in ancient Egypt, there's also the 64 hexagrams and the 64 codons in our DNA. So the interplay between our human design and our human experience And what the ancient Egyptians were trying to tell us with these 64 Netaru and the human experience that those Netaru? The Netaru are the gods and goddesses. Um, So like Hathor or Hethair or Isis or Aset, there's like a whole... uh, Toth. Toth. Yeah. And, you know, the names of these gods and goddesses have been changed also when the Greeks came and they changed their names to be more uh, easily pronounced. So like Hathor is actually Hathair and, you know, Isis is Aset. And so understanding like the, the history 
of Egypt and the colonization that's happened since ancient Egypt and the way things have shifted and changed. So there's there's so much wrapped up in Egypt, whether that's going there for archaeological uh, reasons and being awe-inspired by that alone. There's also the history side and, and the biblical side of being awe-inspired by that history. And then there's the spiritual side and being awe-inspired by the spiritual history and transmissions and frequencies. And so it's really a trip to go there. And I really recommend anyone that does go to go in a way where you can have private visits at the hotel. I mean, at the hotel, at the temples, because when you go with a big enough group, you can have these private visits and it's not so expensive because you're splitting the cost, but it really is worth it because you get to have time in these sites that aren't bombarded with thousands of people and people taking pictures and guards rushing you off, but you really can sit in these spaces and connect to the earth and the land and the walls and and the transmissions that are coming through there. So we started our journey in Luxor and we went to Dendera Hathor's temple first. And in this temple, people came there for thousands of years to get blessings for fertility. And um, our experiences in the temples, because of the government and the laws, you're not allowed to do ceremony or dance sing. or or sing or do anything Music, that's, burn uh, incense. that's sacrilegious, if you will, um, because it is a Muslim country. And so you have to be really careful when you are in there and respecting the country that you're in. And so there's only so much that I can share here, but being in this this temple at Dendera, the main frequency that I got there was first a remembrance of being there. And I, I've only had that at three of the places that we went to was this feeling of coming home and like literally retracing my steps and walking, like, like being there before. And I didn't feel that at, at, we went to so many temples and I only felt that at three. And so at Hathor's temple, it was this feeling of, oh, okay, I'm, I've been here many times. And this experience that I'm now in here is not normal. Like this is not what I normally do here. And there's this small temple that's outside of the temple that's like for Isis. And it's the this holy of the holiest place that only like one priest or priestess is allowed to be in. And we got to go inside and in this temple, a small, small room, I heard a voice that said five months. And that like for when I'm gonna have like conceive and and have a baby. Like I literally heard five months and I was like, okay, cool. Great. That's wow. all, all I needed to hear. And, um, and it's not something that we're like actively trying for right now, but we know that it's kind of orbiting us. So I heard five months and then 
back inside the temple, you know, getting to walk through the halls by myself, I got to sing in these spaces and it just was so healing singing in these rooms and like hearing your voice echo off of the walls and everything. So that was a beautiful experience. One of my favorite temples that we went to. And then, gosh, I feel like there was a message that came through there, but it, the main message came through when we went to Karnak. So the next day at 2 a.m., had to wake up and go to Karnak. And this was another one of the temples that was like coming home, retracing my steps. Um, it was at night. It was a full moon, the Cancer full moon, Prosperity full moon. And it was and That was a powerful moon. Such yeah. a powerful moon. And it lit up the whole temple grounds. Like we didn't use any light. We just used the moon. And it was so incredibly beautiful. And we went into this area that has the this temple of Sekhmet. And it's the most preserved uh, statue of her. And we got to spend time with, with this statue. And the main message that was coming through for me in Karnak was liberation. Liberation for all beings, liberation for yourself, liberation for these temples, liberation for humanity. Like that prayer, What that was my prayer the whole time that we were there was liberation and really feeling like liberation and the womb is the like key to healing um, once again. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Had an amazing, beautiful, saw the sunrise through the Karnak uh, gates. And it was just unbelievable. So beautiful. And oh, that was also where the transmission came through of authenticity is the key for all healing. And I shared that on our Instagram because the next day because that authenticity piece, you know, being there with a bunch of strangers that I didn't know and being um in a space where I wasn't recognized as a projector, you know, this wasn't a human design retreat and I didn't have the invitation to share my insight and wisdom in most places or most circles, right? And knowing that and really uh, finding my own gauge of waiting for the invitation and also being authentic to myself <laughs> and seeing where other people felt like they couldn't be authentic, like not authentically healing or not authentically tapping into what was coming up for them or not authentically being present because they're taking pictures or they're um, feeling really distracted. Mm -hmm. Or like the pressure to be a certain way or... Yeah. And I was curious if you know what that place was used for, like the temple, what was the like original purpose or the original, like, do you know? Yeah. So there's tons of theories. Uh -huh. <laughs> there's tons of... Oh yeah. Because of... probably most of it is theoretical and there's exactly. hints of things or stories passed down, but maybe not complete clarity. Exactly. So a lot of the things in, e in Egypt, um, they're all theoretical. And mm -hmm. um, also there's the part of it where they close down a lot of research or 
studies because it contradicts their religious beliefs. And so anything that's older than, you know, 6,000 years old, they'll shut it down or they'll stop studying it or won't allow others to study it. And then also there's just a lot of unknowns. So Egypt used to be, and like North Africa used to be tropical and this lush tropical land, probably what, 11,000 years ago. And then it, we, there were floods and it dried up and now it's a desert. So a lot of Egypt is buried. And that's why if you look at older pictures of like the Sphinx, it's just the Sphinx head above the sand. And then they kept digging and revealed like the whole body and the paws of the Sphinx. And that's how far they dug. Going to a lot of these sites, you could literally see the sand like at a diagonal and see that the temple extends down under the sand and it just hasn't been excavated yet. And so asking like, are are there plans to excavate this? And like, yeah, like it just hasn't been done yet. And so there's so much of Egypt that we just don't know because it's literally underground. Dendera, the temple of Hathor, when it was first discovered, it was under sand and Mm -hmm. then had to be excavated out. And so these temples are on top of other temples. And and you can literally see the roofs of other temples underneath these temples. So it's really crazy to know like, okay, this is just the latest version that they built on top of the other temple. And this version is however many years old, but there's no definitive evidence on 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 the ages of things. So wow. that was another thing our guide was really telling us. We had a, an Egyptian guide there who was amazing. And he was saying- and he was a projector and yes. you did get the invite from him. <laughs> I did. And I ran his chart and it was amazing. But he's a splenic projector. And he was saying that, you know, in- like the whatever, like published world, like they'll say that this is 5,000 years old, but really the these temples are much, much older and especially the ones that are underneath. And there's a lot of things that are coming out about being 36,000 years old, being yeah. 60,000 years old. So there's just a lot that's coming to light right now. But Mia Magic, who was on our podcast, she was sharing, you know, that that theme of liberation is also these temples wanting to be liberated and really just feeling that so much when I was there. Yeah. So this has been really long-winded, but what I want to say is like authenticity, the more authentic that you can be, that's going to be the key to success, the key to healing, Um, like truly checking like am I being authentic in this or am I putting this on in some way? Um, Am I actually looking deep or am I just like going through the motions because everyone else is doing it, especially in this spiritual world and like spiritual journey. There's so many people out there and so many things out there that are just like surface level, walking the walk. I mean, talking the talk, but not walking the walk. And Really, it doesn't matter if other people perceive you as walking the walk or not. It's do you perceive yourself as that and being authentic in that and really seeing yourself in general in that was like such a big transmission. And then also that like womb is the healing, Mm -hmm. like 
tapping into your body, your actual womb, the legacy that you're leaving behind. I mean, these temples are a legacy, right? Like whoever built them, all the unknowns, it doesn't really matter necessarily because this legacy is still here for us to learn from and uncover and and connect with. I mean, they're they're insane that they withstood time this long and that we're still connecting with that legacy of whenever it was built. The legacy was a big theme that kept coming through for me as well. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's so the word liberation, you know, it's, it's such a powerful word that can be explored on such a deep level. And I encourage anyone who's listening to sit with that word. You know, I was thinking before we record this, that, you know, Shana and Brian being on this trip, everyone in our circle, everyone in your family, every one of your friends was feeling the connection of like you getting these activations and downloads and transmissions, and then us feeling that too, because we're all so connected. And, you know, these transmissions that come through, like being able to share them and everyone being able to connect with what comes up for them in that. So I encourage anyone listening to think about that word liberation and where in your life do you feel like you have a lack of permission for your true authenticity? Where in your life do you feel like you have a lack of permission of your body's own inherent life force, life-giving magic, you know, and knowing that that authenticity piece is kind of that unlocking door to your freedom, to your empowerment, to you becoming the, you know, God being that you are and just remembering that on such a deep level. I think that that's such a potent just frequency, you know, and it's like almost ineffable. So it's it's important, I think, to sit with it and feel it in your body. Yeah. And singing was a big part of this trip too. Mm. Um, singing in the temples, uh, re- singing together as a group, letting your voices um, heal yourself and also... And liberating connect. your voices. Yes. And that, you know, singing is so vulnerable because yes. it's not something that you can pretend. Right. It's not something so you true. can't just be like, I think I'm an amazing singer. And then now I'm singing and I am. And I'm doing it for the ego of like people hearing my voice and, you know, hearing how beautiful it is and, you know, wanting that like to boost my ego in some way. Like the vulnerability of singing when A, you're not a singer, or B, you're not doing it. For like as a performance, but you're just doing it as an offering. Um, Mm -hmm. and you're doing it like for you, like out of your soul and out of your body. And, and, you know, the concept that the best thing that you can offer these sacred sites is your breath. And Mm -hmm. because it's coming straight from you and your body and singing is like carrying this wisdom on your breath that it's just so, it's so vulnerable and so authentic and so real is as long as you can get out of your head, judging what's coming out of doing it as a performance or like wanting it to be really good. Like if you're thinking about that, then you're not really giving the offering because your intention's not behind it. And it's not authentic. And it's not authentic. I mean, don't even get me started on this. We could have an entire (laughs) podcast episode on this because you both know that Shane and I are singers and that took singing training, blah, 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 all the things. And for me specifically, I've always felt that 
playing any other instrument is beautiful, of course, right? But when you're playing a guitar, it's the guitar's frequency that you're hearing. And even though you're the power behind playing that guitar, it's still the guitar that you're hearing. Whereas when you are singing, your voice is unique. There are no two people on this planet that have the same voice with the same frequency, with the same quality. So there is no hiding behind an instrument. You are the instrument and it's letting people see you in your uniqueness to have someone hear your voice. And that's what's so special about particularly singing for me is like, I am hearing this person's uniqueness that cannot be hidden, right? There's no middleman to protect you from your authenticity being known. So I think that that's really, really cool and totally liberating. I believe that finding your voice in singing because every single person, there's only 2% of the population that are not able to actually hear like tones and music and everyone else, it's actually innate. So it is a conditioned story that we are not able to sing. And really that conditioning is this fear, this self-judgment, wanting to hide our authenticity. So I love thinking of that. And also, even if you are tone deaf, it doesn't matter because your yeah, you vo- vocal still, cords can still right. make noise. So it's like not about like being on pitch or or not. Like if you're singing by yourself and you're in a room, like in your house right now or in your car right now, and like you don't, you're not singing a specific song. You're not trying to perform for yourself or like keep up with the lyrics or the tone or the harmonize or any of that shit. But you're just literally letting your vocal cords vibrate and make tones out loud, like that offering to your space right now, even if you're not in a sacred site, it's so real and vulnerable. It's like the most special offering you can give. So that's why like, you know, mantras can be really powerful, but it's the intention behind it, the vulnerability of, of, you know, using your voice to ohm, that was a really amazing part of this trip was also getting out of your comfort zone to do that and know that somebody could walk by and hear you or to do it in front of everyone and everyone hears you. And so there was a lot of times where it was like, okay, you're going to have a few minutes to sing in here. Everybody's going to get a few minutes to do that. And you would just do it. And everybody did it. And it was so amazing and liberating and healing. So being the idea of being healed with your own voice, there were a lot of different chambers that were for that to tone and like sing out loud and let your like uh, sound waves reverberate off the walls. And like you'd feel the vibration of your own voice in the like frequency of your cells and letting that heal you was so powerful too. Okay. But I haven't even gotten to the crazy shit. So... (laughs) Let's do it, baby. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. So the pyramids, this Uh for me. So, okay. So I said in the beginning, there's three temples that I felt like coming home. It was Hathor's temple. It was Karnak. And that's where there's, there's this Isle of Sphinxes that you can walk from Karnak all the way to Luxor. And walking down that Isle of Sphinxes, the initiates would walk down this path as they were going to start their initiation. And there's a lot of theories about what the initiates were doing, but it was this initiation that you would go through to become a high priest or priestess. And you would go to each of the different ancient sites 
um, or they were, I guess, maybe not so ancient then, but each of the different temples, and you would spend a few years there learning and going through these practices that a lot of times were really rigorous, really dangerous. And at the end of it, you would be then initiated to be a high priest or priestess to be able to perform these miracles and uh, healings for people. So there's a lot of theories that Jesus was one of these initiates and that mm-hmm. that's why you hear about Jesus's you know, birth and then you hear about him at 33, but you don't hear about him in his childhood, teens, you know, 20s at mm-hmm. all. And the theories are that he was in Egypt and went on the journey of the initiates to become a high priest. And that's why he was able to perform these miracles. And, um, you know, he's just one of many prophets that has gone through this initiation journey. And he was able then to he was just like the most famous one, if you will. And that Mary, his mother, also went on this initiation too. And that's why she was able to have the Immaculate con- uh, Conception. Is that how you say that? I yeah. think that's right. Yep. Without yeah. having to have sex to conceive. So there's a lot of different information out there. I'm not the one to teach on this. So don't like pick apart my words and maybe I'm saying <laughs> some shit wrong because probably am. Yeah, this isn't like my area of expertise, but that's just what I kind of have been really fascinated in learning. So anyways, I want to go down a whole rabbit hole with that and take a bunch of courses and like definitely just research on it because it's fascinating to me. So these different temples, I felt that energy of, of, okay, I've been here before with Dendera, with Karnak and walking that, that Isle of Sphinxes. And then I also felt that at Hatshepsut, which is a temple that was built by a queen. And it's where they believe Moses spent his younger years there. And that felt the most like this was my home. And I'm not saying like that I was her. I could have been a priest there um, or a priestess. And at the end of the whole trip, the very last thing we did before literally going to dinner and then getting on our flight, we went to this oil shop and this healer. And he like reads past lives and auras and all the things and tells you what you need to hear. And everybody had time to sit down with him. And I was one of like three people that he's brought up past lives. And he said, you've had many past lives here. Um, One of them, you were a priest, another one, you were a priestess. And then the other one, like you were just a person, <laughs> um, like a regular person. Here. I don't know yeah. what you're doing. And he said at Dendera, at Karnak, and at Hatshepsut. And those were the three wow. places that I connected wow. with. And that obviously I didn't tell so him that. Cool. I know, right? And I literally, obviously, I didn't tell him anything. I just sat there and like, okay, so what do you want to tell me? And like, that's what he told me. He also told me a bunch of other shit. He told me that I have sexual blocks because I have a lot of fear around creating the same destruction that my mother created out of pain and that my sexual blocks stem from that. And like, that was really fascinating to hear like a complete stranger told me. So anyways, crazy long story, but those temples felt like coming home. Now the pyramids felt not like coming home. The pyramids felt like 
insane. And when you say the pyramids, for all of us who have not been to Egypt, we're talking about the great pyramids of Giza, like the ones that you know, the most famous, probably the most tourists go to, all of that. Yes, exactly. Uh And so we get to the Giza Plateau to get to our hotel. Our hotel's right there. It's amazing. And the moment that we get into the vicinity, we don't even see the pyramids. I'm feeling charged. And this is at the end of our trip. And this trip was a trip that was created by Mangens for Mangens. Like there were multiple mornings that we woke up at 2 a.m. because we would go to the temples from 3 to 5. And they didn't tell us this before the trip. So all of the projectors on the trip were straight up dying (laughs) and like literally struggling. It was insane. I probably haven't done anything this rigorous in a really long time. And so towards the end of the trip, we're all fucking exhausted, like so tired. And once we get to Giza, I start feeling like charged like energy, energized. And then we get to the Giza Plateau and literally I see the pyramids and it just like takes my breath away. Just like, I'm literally crying because they're just so like, holy shit, that's how it feels. And Mm -hmm. the energy was electrifying. Like my whole body felt charged and I felt high. And I kept saying to the friends that we made on this trip, like, I feel high. Like, I literally feel so charged and electrified. Like, am I okay? Altered. Yeah. Altered, altered, (laughs) altered, altered. And everyone's, I don't know, it was just me because other people are like, yeah. But I was like, no, you guys, I'm fucking tripping. Like, I am high right now. And so couldn't go to bed that night. I was just so energized. and. We wake up at 1.15 to have to be there on the bus by 2.30. And we go to the pyramids and they told us beforehand, we only have two hours at the pyramids. And there's three places. There's the subterranean level, which is like underground. There's the queen's chamber, which is like kind of towards like in the middle of the two. And then there's the king's chamber, which is like at the top of the three different places that you can go, right? And to get to these areas, it's these tunnels that you kind of have to like hunch over. And like uh, when you're climbing up, obviously you can like hunch and climb up and you're holding these railings. Because it's only like three and a half feet tall or something. Exactly. The walkway. The walkway. Uh And then to go down, you have to go backwards because it's you're so hunched and it's so steep that you have to go down backwards. Like climbing down a ladder backwards. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. And to go from the king's chamber all the way down to the subterranean takes, and, and then back up, takes 40 minutes just of hiking alone. That's not Whoa. spending time in any of those places. So they were like, so we have to be really efficient because we only have two hours and 40 minutes of that is hiking. And so we're going to go in groups And in the King's Chamber, you know, you'll be able to sing. We're all going to like be able to uh, lay in the sarcophagus and and sing and tone and like feel the energy, which there's a lot of theories of, you know, the sarcophagus isn't actually one. They haven't found any mummies or anything in the pyramids. And in general, things online will tell you that the temples all were used for as tombs. And that's why they were built. But out of like the 120 temples, only like 20 of them have mummies in them. 
and actually had like a like a tomb. And so that's just the theory, right? So anyway, so I'm like, okay, I'm going into this feeling charged up as fuck. And <laughs> I know I have to be really efficient. So we get up to the king's chamber, we all sing and it's amazing. Like the energy in this chamber just feels limitless. And our publisher sent us an email before we had gone there. And she said, from my understanding, the Great Pyramids um, and the Giza Plateau are at this like zero point field on the earth where all possibilities and limitless exists. And that's Mm. why when people go to the great pyramids, they have an activation that happens where you're either able to recommit to things in a different way, or you have a big shift because you're now connecting with like all timelines, all possibilities, Mm -hmm. and you're able to like shift uh, where you want to go. And you're called to these points when you need that frequency to like realign with whatever timeline you're wanting to get on. And, you know, they say, Egypt sends out beacons to people of like calling you in for healing, for amplifying. There's a lot of theories that these sites are here to transmit and amplify your thoughts and your prayers and your visions to like the rest of the world and even into the cosmos. So there's a lot of different theories. So in this King's Chamber, it feels so... The energy is like almost like thick, like you could swim through it, but in like a light way. Like it wasn't heavy. It was like a light, thick, almost like, uh, gosh, like water static energy. So like you could feel like magnetism and like electricity, like in the air. Yes, exactly. And so we're all in there and we're just, we, we sing and it's amazing. And then they're like, okay, who wants to go in the first group to head down to the subterranean? Not everybody wanted to go to the subterranean because it's such a hike. And me and Brian and then our two other friends, Autumn and Nicole, who we like really bonded with on this trip, we raised our hands immediately. And they're like, okay, great. Like you guys are the first group. Go, like go, get started. And so we immediately just start booking it down there. And like I said, it's a hike. You're sweating, we're, but we're going. Meanwhile, you have to be like kind of dressed modestly. So I'm wearing like a white because we were supposed to wear all white, wearing a white dress and white leggings. And I had to tuck my dress like up into my leggings, (laughs) like into the waist of it. So that way I could step without stepping on it. So I look like like (laughs) Indiana Jones meets freaking, I don't even know, Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) I love it. So I'm going, climbing down and getting down to the subterranean. and. To get into the subterranean chamber, there's a tiny little, like you climb down this small like chamber a ways and then you get down and there's this little shaft that you have to lay down on your belly in the dirt and drag yourself. Like you, it's so small that you can barely army crawl and you have to drag yourself through the dirt into this chamber. And it's, it was really awesome being able to like drag yourself through the dirt of this place for like a minute and then get through the chamber and and into the subterranean level. And also a little claustrophobic, right? Birthing canal. Yeah. So I'm in the subterranean and the energy there felt really dark and like the shadow side of mm-hmm. life. Like it felt heavy. 
and it felt really just like dark and not in a bad way, but just in a real way, you know? Yeah. Which exists in life, that darker shadow side. Exactly. Yeah. And Noelle instantly starts crying when she's in there. And I wasn't, I was just kind of like, okay, I'm giving my offering. I'm giving my, you know, my words and my prayers and just like taking it all in and being in here and feeling the heaviness of this energy here. And then I'm like, okay, I want to start working my way back, like to go to the queen's chamber. Because the other thing they told us is on all the groups that they've ever led there, they've never been able to have a closing circle of everyone back up at the king's chamber to like close it out. So because it just takes too long to do all three. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to start working my way up to the queen's chamber because I want to have time to sing up in the king's chamber and be end there. So as I go to get into this small little shaft to crawl through the dirt, uh, to get back up to like the whatever chamber that you climb out, I lay down on my belly and start pulling myself through the dirt. And all of a sudden, all of these images of my life, my childhood, start flashing through my, like literally seeing them and experiencing them, like reliving the memories. Like as I'm starting to leave this chamber, it was literally like leaving my old life behind. And like seeing all of the different traumas in my childhood and seeing all of the different times that I like overcame or changed or chose different. And I'm pulling myself through this dirt and I'm like, whoa, holy fuck. Like this is intense. Like why am I seeing this? And I'm starting to like pull myself through and I start crying and I get to like the the steps kind of that you can then start climbing and ascending up out of the subterranean area. And each step that I take, it's literally like a new memory, just like flashing before my eyes. And it's really intense. And I like take a moment and I look back and I have this like feeling of like, well, I got to wait. I have to wait for like, like, is Brian coming out yet? Or Noel or Autumn? Like, are they okay? Like, should I wait for them? And I hear this voice that's like, that says very clearly, everyone has to... Hold on. I want to get this right. Everyone has to guide themselves, but you can lead the way. And it wasn't like an egoic you. It was like a collective you, like I am you and you are me. Like everyone has to guide themselves and can lead themselves and lead others in guiding themselves. And like... So focus on your own path. Like literally everyone has to guide themselves, but you can lead the way. And like you've been leading the way your whole life and choosing different and guiding your own path. And other people have then been inspired to lead themselves more. And like just all of that kind of like understanding dropped in with those words. And so I'm like, okay. And so I go back up and I just like keep... And it's like, I was hesitant to take each next step because I knew a new memory was going to pop in and like visually and and emotionally and experientially, that makes sense. Experientially. Experientially. There we go. (laughs) That's a word. And so I'm like, okay, I got to take another step. And I'm like repeating, like everyone has to guide themselves, but I can lead the way. Like, okay, I can do that. 
And so I'm like, it's hard pulling yourself out of your own shit. It's hard pulling yourself out of your circumstances. It's hard overcoming things that are out of your control that happen to you. And I'm like pulling myself through that and leading the way in like facing that side of my life and the reality that I've experienced. And I am just sobbing. I'm sobbing. I'm sweating. I'm so out of breath because meanwhile, this is a straight up workout. Like this was not an easy thing to climb out of this chamber. Yeah. It's uphill upstairs, right? Yeah. Super steep. And they're not stairs. They're just like little wooden, like pieces of wood that are like drilled into the the shafts of that and like railings on the side. And sometimes the railing goes away. Sometimes the light goes away and you're just like figuring it out. And so I'm like pulling myself up and like literally so out of breath, crying my whole life all the way up until like college and then all through college. And it wasn't all bad memories. Some of them were good. And then I get to like the platform where it's like base level uh, where you enter the temple and before you go up to the queen's chamber. And that was like, I arrived to my life now. Like I went through all of my memories and arrived at my life now. Wow. And I was like, okay, like I've arrived. Like this is, this is my life now. Like I've came out of all of that shit and now I'm here. And I was like, okay, now onto the queen's chamber. And it was like very dropped in, like this is motherhood. And like going into motherhood and childbirth and this new chapter of my life and going to the queen's chamber. Once again, this is a narrow pathway that you are hunched down over and you are like kind of pulling yourself to because it's, it's uphill. And I start going through all of the images of literally getting pregnant and have giving birth and things that haven't happened yet. I'm seeing them all like images. And once again, I'm sobbing and I'm out of breath and I'm sweaty and I hit my head so hard on the granite that's like sticking out. Like I Mm -hmm. slam into it and instantly what drops in is like, that was a miscarriage. And I said it out loud. I was like, that was a miscarriage. And then I was like, no, it wasn't. Maybe it was. I don't know. It doesn't have to be like, it's all just different possibilities. Like I'm saying this all out loud and I'm by myself at this point because I fucking was booking it out of my old life. And like, I was on my own journey. Like everyone has to guide themselves. I can lead the way. Like they've got their own journey to go on. I can't live their journey. I have to live mine. And so I'm living it. So... I and well, I'll tell you that later. So whoa, I, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, go ahead. So <laughs> I well, so because in all of this, there was the polarity the whole time in the temples of the polarity of my individual life experience and the collective we are everyone and everyone is us and like we are all, we all are God and God is us. And like, we're all one. So the oneness of having an individualized experience. And so like, I have to live my own life. I can't do, I can't climb these steps for them. I can't 
you know, I don't need to worry about trying to do that. I just need to climb my own steps. And that's the legacy that I leave. But also everyone else is doing that exact same thing. And we all are each other. And like, yes, my individual human experience is mine, but also it's everyone's. And so having this very succinct like polarity and duality at this whole time that I'm experiencing this. So I'm like, okay, I hit my head, have that miscarriage experience and I'm sobbing, but I'm like, okay, I'm not going to like turn this into something that's going to happen. I'm just going to have this experience right now and like keep going. And so I keep trekking to the queen's chamber and I'm going through birth. And then to get into the actual queen's chamber is like this, once again, like this shaft that you can like kind of hunch walk through. And at the end of the chamber, like the, the, the shaft there, it's dark, but then at the end there's this light because, um, Isis was in there with her baby and her baby's like two years old. She brought along on the trip, which Isis is the the leader of this trip. Yes. And thank you for clarifying that because not the <sighs> goddess, but the actual person. Yeah. Yeah. Who is a goddess, but <laughs> exactly. And her baby is standing at the end of this tunnel that I'm climbing through and there's all this light behind him and just his little shadow. Wow. Because it's dark tunnel and then light at the end and he's standing there. So I can't see his face. I can just see his outline. And as I'm climbing through and having all of these images and experiences of giving birth, I like see this little baby at the end of the tunnel And I'm like, hi, baby. Hi, baby. And I'm sobbing. And the baby's probably like, this bitch is on some (laughs) shit. And I was just like so amplified in this space. And I'm like, hi, baby. And so I get into this chamber and I just like fall to the ground sobbing. Like literally just sit on the ground and just sob. And not like a cute sob, like an ugly, snotty, like, (laughs) and I'm covered in mud at this point because I crawled through the dirt and I'm so sweaty and so teary and so snotty that I'm like wearing all white covered in mud. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Just like sit on the ground in the queen's chamber and just sob. And like, I was crying for like the mother wound, like the mother wound, my own mother wound and my personal experience. And also the mother wound of just the collective mother wound whether that's abandonment, whether that's a loss of a mother, whether that is not being valued as a mother, whether that's losing a child or having a miscarriage or the, you know, the mother wounds that we don't talk about collectively enough and just sobbing for all of that and uh, releasing and just like letting it be out and known. And not feeling like I needed to clean myself up to be presentable because now there's people here that are watching me, but just like letting it sob. And so I did. And she like pulled me up by my shoulders. She was like here because she had like a little kind of ritual that she wanted to do. And she did it. And I just sobbed the whole time. (laughs) And she was like, just cry if you need to cry. And I was like, yeah, bitch, I know. Like, there's no control. (laughs) There's no stopping this. Yeah. And so she does whatever she does. I have no idea what she did. Um, I don't even know what the queen's chamber looks like because I literally had my eyes shut the whole time sobbing. And then I just had this like dropped in, like, and it's time 
to go. So I just like left as Brian and the other girls were coming in. I literally just like kept going on my journey. I literally didn't see the queen's chamber because my eyes were shut the whole time sobbing. And then I leave the shaft and I'm like, okay, like it's time. And I go to head my way up to the king's chamber. And on the way to the king's chamber, it's this giant cathedral, but you're still walking uphill but it's like this huge cathedral shaft that you're walking to, to get to the King's chamber. And every step that I'm taking, I feel these like layers, like this weight just shedding off of me and like this like gold sparkly dust kind of energy, like emitting. And I hear this voice. It's like all of the things that you want happen when you do what you want. And it's like, duh, but like, (laughs) yeah, you're right. Like I've been so focused on, you know, if I want to have kids, I need to do it at the right time. Or I want to, you know, I want Brian to be able to not have to work a nine to five because I don't want to bring kids into a situation where they only see their dad on the nights and the weekends. And I want to have, you know, so I need to have everything figured out and like support our employees and support Day Luna and, you know, be thinking about different ways I can support our community and support other people before I start focusing on like family and, and building our family because I want to have all that figured out first and all of that kind of like mental shoulds. I've been in that place for a while and I didn't even realize it. And hearing like, all of the things that you want and literally seeing the images of all the things, like the possibilities of my life and all the things that I want, which is traveling with Brian and and our kids and our family and creating spaces where people can come gather and heal and connect and um, feeling the freedom really echo out to not only me, but also to Brian and our kids and anyone that comes into contact with us, that abundance of liberation and connection and opportunity, just being something that is magnetically given to anyone that comes into contact with our aura, like all seeing all of that happen and hearing, what do you want? Like in this moment, like, what do you actually want? Not what do you want in the future? Not what do you want in your dream life? But like all of the things that you ever could possibly want happen when you focus on in this moment, what do you actually want? And that is your legacy. And like, I kept hearing like, because my cross of incarnation, the right angle cross of the Sphinx, my specific one is to build a legacy that immortalizes my own direction. And with every step that I took on the way to this King's Chamber, it was like you just living your life and focusing on what you want, that is your legacy. You're always going to be leaving a legacy no matter what it is that you're doing or saying or thinking or teaching or being. You're always going to be leaving a legacy. So what do you want? Because that's the legacy you're going to be leaving. And feeling that like it's not selfish to want what you want when you want it and and all of the like mental constructs of like the timing and the shoulds and all of the things right we say it all the time in human design especially for sacral beings but feeling that in connection to my purpose and my cross and you know we talk about how your cross of incarnation is the energy that you're here to be in all of the things that you do like 
leaving behind a legacy in all of the things that I do literally is my life purpose, but also it's everyone's. And just like every step I took on the way to the King's Chamber, feeling like this step that I'm taking right now is my legacy. And this step that I'm taking right now is my legacy. And like feeling that like, just like shimmery kind of like things just shimmering off of me, like all the possibilities, everything, right? And I was like, okay, okay, okay. And I'm like out of breath because it's still a hike to get to the King's Chamber. (laughs) So I finally get to the King's Chamber and everybody is like, you know, who's up there is waiting in line to like have their time with the sarcophagus and to sing and stuff. And I didn't even... Like I was in such an altered state that I did not even register that people were like waiting in line or that somebody was even in there or anything. And I'm just like fucking war. I warriored through my whole life. I've had this whole just insane experience. I get to the top out of breath. I mean, like this warrior stands covered in mud, sweat, tears, snot, like my dress tucked up like Indiana Jones fucking (laughs) little house on the prairie. And I just march right up and Ricky, who is also kind of guiding this trip. He'd been timing people who were in the sarcophagus. And I just walk right up and I'm like, I need to get in right now. And he said, yep. And he pulled out the person that was in there. And I just like got right in and I sang. And I just like instantly started singing and I just straight up channeled a song like through me. And it started with the basis of one of your chakra songs from your sound bowls that you use for healing. And so I started with like, I am in my body. And then it went into, and I have a vision and I see it crystal clearly, which is another one of your healing words that you channeled. And then it just straight up like channeled into like, and I am you and you are me and I am we and we. And then shit just like really just flowed through me. Like all of these like words and tones and things just, I was using my hands. I was like feeling the walls. I was like straight up Kundalini in this like chamber. And then he like uses this like a Sistrum rattle uh, to like, let me know that it's like my time's up. And I'm like, okay. And I like just sat up with just like this clear clarity, confidence. Like I did what I needed to do here and I stand up and it's kind of hard to get out of because it's really tall. So I'm like climbing out of it. And he's like, that was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And I thought I said, thank you, but I didn't. I said, yep. (laughs) <laughs> like an out of like, breath. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I just got out and then I immediately went into the center of the chamber and I laid on the ground and I just like laid like with my palms facing the chamber floor and it's all granite. And I laid there in the center of this chamber and I probably laid there for like 30 minutes in like this theta state, just transmitting out. Like I was very intentional that every thought in this space is so important. And so I was just sending out like opportunity for everyone who needs one. We're all over the world and all of the cosmos, like anyone who needs an opportunity, whether that's a friend giving them 
like love and support, whether that's a job opportunity, whether that's being their business idea being seen, whether that's you know giving them money on the street so they can go have the opportunity to buy some food. Um, everyone on this earth having opportunity that they need because opportunity is limitless. Like it's, it really is. And so that's what I was really just transmitting out to the world and the cosmos and, and love and connection and compassion, all that stuff. Right. And, and I sit up at the end and I didn't realize that I had started a trend of laying on the floor and everyone was laying on the floor <laughs> around me, connecting with the earth. And before they were all like standing around the edges of the wall. And I like, when I got out of the chamber, I just immediately went to the center of the room and laid down on the floor. And I sit up and everyone's laying on the floor and I stand up and I see my imprint of my body, the sweat on the floor because the floor is dusty. And I see like literally my body's outline on the floor of this, the great pyramid in the King's chamber. And I'm like, that is my legacy. And everyone has to guide themselves, but I can lead the way. Like literally everybody's now laying on the floor and leaving their imprint. Their body is like imprint on this floor and led by me. And but guided themselves to then do it. And like literally looking at my legacy of my body's imprint, that's still like my sweat cells are in the fucking like King's chamber and just had like a full circle moment. And so then we, as I'm standing there, the the Egyptian guide, who is my absolute favorite on this trip, I cannot speak highly enough. I want to go back just with him because he's insane. He comes in and he says, it's raining. And rain in Egypt is super rare. And it rained four times on our trip. And it's like so rare. Like when we were on the Nile, he said, this was the first time in this part of Egypt that it's rained. The second time in 25 years that it's rained. Like it's so rare. And he comes out and he's like, this has never happened where we've been in the Great Pyramid and it's rained. And he said, it's raining. And I was just like, like, of course it is. Like, this is just the most magical fucking experience of my life. And so I come out of the Great Pyramid, like, you know, after you've been crying so much that like your face is like salty and your lashes are like <laughs> crusty as fuck and your nose has like a little bit of crusty shit on it. Like yeah. I come and I'm just like dirty and dusty and fucked up. Like I got <laughs> fucked up in the Great Pyramid. <laughs> So then we go to the Sphinx and nobody else, by the way, I think some people had, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone, but like Brian and the people that I was with, they were like, you know, the Great Pyramid was awesome, but I like got fucking blasted off. And the Great Pyramid felt like a tool to me. Like it felt like functional, felt like Mm, a- Like a machine. A machine, exactly. Whereas the other temples felt like a coming home, a remembrance, a like- ritual or like tradition, the great pyramids felt like functional. Like, okay, I'm coming into this machine and maybe I've used this machine before, but in this lifetime right now, I'm using this machine and it's doing its function through me with me right now. And like, that's how it felt for me. And so then when we went to the Sphinx, we got to go down into like the Sphinx area, which I did not realize is not open to the public. Uh, The public, when you go to the Sphinx, you're up on like this like 
plateau above it and you get to look down into that area. But at a private visit, you get to go down in between the the pause of the Sphinx. And like, we got to sit there and meditate and I got to walk around the outside of the Sphinx by myself, which I didn't know nobody else was doing. So I was just on my own journey and I had this whole, like, I kept seeing at the Sphinx, which is really interesting. Every time I'd close my eyes, I kept seeing these really dark, gross, like bad images. And it wasn't like images of like memories. It wasn't like a human or anything like that. It was like shapes and frequencies that were just really dark and low. And Mm. I was like, okay, no, I'm not seeing that. And then I'd close my eyes and I'd say, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, why am I thinking of this? Like, why am I seeing this? And then I just kept doing it. I was like, you know what? Like, if I'm a light worker, like, let me work my light here then. And I like sat with my hands on the altar at the Sphinx and literally like cleared that dark energy, like, like probably for like 10 minutes, like seeing like white light, like shift, like break apart these images until it was all clear, like light energy. And I did that for like 10 minutes. I was like, okay, I guess this is what's wanting to happen here. And then after I did that, I went and I walked around the Sphinx by myself and nobody else is doing that. And because this isn't open to the public, there were dogs down there, like stray dogs. And, um, And they were sleeping and I was like by myself. This is huge area, pitch black, just have the moonlight. And it's like still the middle of the night or like three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it's like 5 a.m. And so I'm like walking and I'm like leaving the little rose, whatever, at the like different corners of the sinks. And I'm just like connecting with the energy and um, I'm walking by and I see this sleeping dog like in between like the nook of one of the areas of the sinks. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I just like keep going and like walking and I come back to the front, but I'm just keeping my distance and like sending out like easy energy. Well, one of the other girls went and she was like, like getting all up in the different crevices and she was kind of not really paying attention and the dogs like charged her and like she almost got attacked by these dogs. And so it's like just really realizing like, oh, this is not normally a place where humans are. Mm-hmm. And like, be aware of your surroundings and like mm-hmm. the reality of like, this is life and the situation here right now and this deep spiritual like energetics of it. So the Sphinx for me was very real, if that makes sense. Whereas like the Great Pyramid was very functional and then the other temples were very... um coming home remembrance and like messages if that like for the collective if that makes sense. So yeah. that was my experience in Egypt and it was insane. I think a lot of people got a lot out of their time with the Sphinx and it was like a privilege to be able to like lay in between the paws of the Sphinx and like really connect with the energy there. And I just want to highlight from my outside perspective that like when you sent me the first picture of like you in front of the Sphinx in the nighttime and I was like, wow, a Sphinx in front of a Sphinx because your cross is this this Sphinx energy in human design. And I have it pulled up right now from the book 
um, the, the by Chitan Parkin that he says, you know, the personal life theme of the Sphinx is all about that, like direction and directing others and guiding others. And on, he says on our planet, the Sphinx in Egypt symbolizes an ancient yet forgotten ever constant mystical guidance towards something greater than ourselves somewhere in your being you remember. Mm. And I just think it's so fascinating. The fact that there's this Sphinx like completely forgotten, like completely abandoned, like literally dogs are sleeping there. And like somewhere in you, you remember that light and brought it there. Yes. That's exactly what I felt. That's exactly what I felt there. A hundred percent. It was like this forgotten energy. And there's a lot of theories that in the Sphinx that you can go in the Sphinx and underneath are these tunnels and chambers where all of the records of ancient Egypt and and the history of all of that and Atlantis and the ancient civilizations, like all of that is kept, was kept Under in there. the underneath the Sphinx, underneath the left paw or the right paw when you're looking at the Sphinx, I think. And they, there's like, you can go down a whole YouTube rabbit hole, but there was... Because no one's been under there, so they just theorize No, it. no. So there is this Egyptologist who's like super whatever. Oh, no, his, no, no, oh. no. Like owned by the government, kind of like oh, working with the so government. like a standard one. Yeah. And he like has banned Graham Hancock from even going to Egypt. There's like so much that you can listen to about this. But wow. he then... Like they found the the accesses into the Sphinx and he didn't want, he kind of wanted the credit. So he shut them down, wouldn't let them do it. Then he started doing that and was leading like a documentary. And then he went in there and it was like in real time. And then they shut down all of production and then they went back on it. Like, nope, there's no tunnels that lead into it. Even though there's videos of him like literally leading, going into it. And they like shut it down completely and nobody's allowed to go in there or access anything. So everyone's like, what did they find? That was so triggering because in the teachings in Egypt, you know, collectively is that the humans weren't existing before like 6,000 years ago or something. And don't quote me on that because that it, I am not yeah. the person to speak on this whatsoever. Right. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but <laughs> I do know that... Let's just get that straight. No, yeah, in general. Um, but I do know that there's a lot of religious reasons why they won't allow um, study and opportunity and they won't open it up for people to come and learn. I mean, even in our own experience there... You couldn't, they would like question you if you had a crystal in your backpack that went through the security to get into the the area. Like, what is this for? And what some people told us is that, you know, they don't want you conjuring dark spirits in these places or doing something that's like sacrilegious, basically. Um, So in my own experience, there was a lot of control, a lot of watching you or your every move to make sure that you weren't doing something out of line, like it's illegal to burn incense or use oils or have crystals or even tools that were from Egypt, like sistrums. So they're really watching everything that you do. So it's not like 
out of the box to say that they would shut down a site because something was found there. And um, going back to that theme of liberation and the temples wanting to be liberated right now, even in this moment, while it's amazing that you were able to have these incredible spiritual experiences, and it's amazing that these temples and structures are still able to do their job to call people to be instruments facilitating that healing and transformation. All of that stuff is amazing that it's happening in this moment, but also the bigger, more greater picture is that they are, they are imprisoned and there is this lack of liberation on kind of like very, a lot of different layers And that like, it's interesting to think about how even in just our lifetimes, some of the discoveries that might be made as we're shifting into a new paradigm and these old systems of control that have gone against personal and collective liberation are crumbling. I mean, it's really, it's a pivotal time. And I think that the Egyptian spirituality, the, you know, all of the just magic there, I think what's so alluring about it is the forgotten, abandoned, oppressed, um, erased, like mystery question marks that exist because of a lack of authenticity, clarity, and liberation. Yeah. And control. I mean, so many of the temples, the, all of the gods and goddesses are defaced because that when the Christians came in, they defaced these, these temples because wanting to control and like no other gods above, like our God and, you know, so there's so many eras that have come through Egypt. And right now we're just in this era. And it's not to say that other countries don't have control and, you know, authorities at play that are, that are hiding the truth and at all, because there is that in every corner of the world, maybe in that clearing that I did was clearing a little bit of that, that like a wound that needed to be healed at the sinks. But I definitely think in the years to come, there's going to be a lot more that's uncovered and a lot more answers coming out. And just, I mean, even in the documentaries that are coming out right now, Graham Hancock has done so much work to uncover those. And it's on Netflix, which is like... Uh, so mainstream, right? Like it's amazing to see that that work that is so alternative, I put in quotes, or controversial or theoretical, yeah. all of that stuff that it, it it is becoming so accessible and mainstream. And there's got to be a reason for that. Exactly. So there's going to be just so much that's coming out, but I definitely had a life-changing experience in the Great Pyramid was like, and it was like literally the end of our trip like the last day. And was that like the most life-changing? Obviously everything was beautiful and amazing and like, wow, coming home, wow, messages, all that stuff. But having that like physical experience in the Great Pyramid, that was just so, it wasn't something that I was like hearing. It wasn't, although some of it was, it was like something I was experiencing and it was undeniable and it was very physical and it was very, like I went into a machine and I, yep. It healed me. It transformed me. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I was pretty surprised because from my outside perspective, never having been there, I was thinking like the Great Pyramids are so touristy and they're like the most well-known. So like, it'll probably be some other more obscure place that's like way more whatever. And so it's really cool and surprising to hear that 
you had this just like undeniably powerful experience there and that it's just, it is an undeniably powerful place. Yeah. Yeah, truly. And I think maybe it was my intention. Maybe it was the fact that I literally climbed through the whole Great Pyramid by myself because I like went ahead of everyone. <laughs> so I had That's my so own like, literal experience because I was just in my own energy inside mm-hmm. the pyramid. Um, yeah. It could be a, a million different things, but I do know that like I was feeling charged up from the pyramid before we ever went in and even after. So just really, really interesting. So I know this has been a really long episode and we've talked a lot about a lot of things. Everything. And I personally am just so grateful to be here in this moment, finally getting to hear this stuff (laughs) and sharing it with all of you listening, all of our besties in this moment. Um, If you made it to the end of this podcast, then we know and trust that this is a part of your journey too, to hear these stories and to feel your own curiosity and call towards ancient Egypt and Egyptian spirituality. And I definitely will put links in the show notes here. I want to link one of my favorite books that has helped me learn a lot about ancient Egyptian spirituality in case that's calling you. And thank you for listening with us. I know that the people who this called to, it's just as fascinating for you as it has been for us to hear this stuff and to talk about this stuff. And Shana, I want I want to invite you as we're wrapping up if there's one message that's coming through like ancient Egypt wants to gift anyone listening this frequency or this knowing or this message like today hear this is there anything that's coming up for you yeah i mean one thing that kept coming through when i was there um was like we are the ancients like we are the ancient ones. Yeah. Um, we are like those ancient healers, like inside of your body right now, like your soul, all time kind of existing at once kind of energy, um, all like lifetimes kind of existing at once, like that access that you have to your own sacredness and your own. I think that we like romanticize a lot of times like the ancients or these gods and goddesses, but knowing like all of that is within you and being able to tap into that just in this moment, like your own sacredness and having reverence for that and coming back to being your own authority, like your own wisdom, your own guide, your own you know, goddess or God, that reverence, that's like the main, the main Mm. message. I love that. That's so beautiful. And I totally feel that, that we have sometimes like we put on a pedestal, like these healers from the past that did these amazing things or whatever. We put them in this like separation from us, but we are all one human family. We are all one consciousness family. Every piece of wisdom that's ever existed still exists and is accessible from within you, from tapping in, from creating that connection. And the way that you open that connection is always going to be from knowing yourself, from being yourself, from loving yourself and walking your journey. So 
That's so beautiful. And I'm excited for anyone listening to just receive that and feel that within themselves. Yeah. And I guess we're going to have another episode where we talk about our rose, sacred, sexual breath work that we both had separately, individually. And that was after Egypt. So Mm -hmm. I guess um, sacred sexuality is going to be its own... I, I feel like we've talked about sacred sexuality, but that's not what this breathwork was. This breathwork was like orgasmic, yeah. sexual milk for me, like dripping in like the cum of the earth. <laughs> like Damn. through a rosebud. Damn. But it was like sparkly, glittery, like cosmic cum. Who <laughs> <laughs> knew this episode was going to end on a cum note? Nobody. <laughs> Um, (laughs) I love it. So we'll have a whole episode about that, but we love you all. Thanks for lasting till the end here. If you want to (laughs) connect with our offerings, you might not now, but if you did, you can find it on our website, which is daylunalife.com or Instagram at dayluna. And yeah, we love you. And we hope that you have a sacred, reverent, magical, powerful, fertile, abundant, just profound rest of your day.